All right. Um, as you can see, I have like an object lesson, which I'm super looking forward to. <laughs> um, if this is your first First Wednesday, uh, this is kind of, it's not an impromptu night because we do a lot of planning for it, but we really leave the door open for the Holy Spirit quite a bit. And so, um, so we do have worship and then uh, I'll do like kind of a te uh, teaching. It's kind of a sermon, but we call it a sermonette so you don't get discouraged by its length. Um, it's really more of, I think, a prophetic speaking that God is doing to our church and to you at that time. And, um, and then what we do is we have kind of a response time after. Sometimes it's up here, but most of the time, the, the, all, all of the time, the prayer, uh, prayer corner is back there. And, and uh, we have our prayer teams really ready to go. The whole prayer room was uh, full of people ready to pray for you. And, and, um, and so we do that afterwards while we sing. And so we just encourage you then to respond to the word that God brings. Um, by getting prayed for, we would love that for you, um, or receiving, you know, uh, from your seats there. But sometimes you just need a little help to get over. I don't know if to get over the finish line. I think sometimes we need help to get it back in the race, uh, sometimes. And so thanks, Sean. Um, yeah, thanks. I'm good. Um, and I say things on first Wednesdays that I sometimes don't say on Sundays because y'all like me and won't kick me out of the church. Um. Right? Am I right? <laughs> I gotta <laughs> feel like you're waiting for something there. Okay. Um, I'm going to do, um, here's what I was feeling. I just wrote it down. Sometimes I have like a pen. I just write it down. I just want to kind of stay in touch with what the Holy Spirit is saying, but I felt like somebody came in here with like a hard heart today and, um, hard hearts can be hurt hearts too. And so, but hard hearts, um, I just feel like God is going to, um, work on your hard heart for you. Uh, I think, I think when my heart gets hard, um, I, I tried to work and do heart surgery on, um, pastor Aaron and then she's like unreceptive. Um, but a hard heart is actually something that's going on inside of you. And uh, as a Christ follower, um, I don't think that what happens outside of you has to necessarily happen inside of you the way that it is happening inside of you. I don't mean that we don't get hurt and people don't sin against us or you're not um, suffering something that's, um, in, uh, unjust. But, but that uh, injustice and the spirit of that injustice doesn't have to poison your soul. Uh, you can actually come out of things that um, have been done to you and you can come out of even things that you've done because that can create a hard heart too. And so you can come out of that with a soft heart where God is actually molding. You know, I was thinking about Joseph when his brothers, you know, are like, hey, you know, we have two options. We should kill him or we should sell him to slavery. And he's like, please just sell me as a slave, you know, and you would like... If somebody sold you as a slave, that would be a big deal. But that was like the better of his options at the time. Then he goes and every place he goes, he acts righteously. And then he keeps getting thrown into jail. Right. And, um, and then can you imagine just being, just being Joseph and he interprets the dreams for, for these guys. And he's like, this is what's going to happen. And then it happens right away. And he's like, but, but then he says to them like, Hey, but remember me you know, remember me. Right. And then I can't remember cause I didn't just read it, but I think it's like, and two years later, the guy remembers or something, you know, I'd be like, what? I told you specifically, you had one job. Remember me. But God had a plan for him in prison that could only happen to Joseph in prison. And he was all, all the greater afterwards for it. But, um, you, he didn't, you can't do that with a hard heart because if you have a hard heart, you can, <laughs> you can sit on a throne, but you're still in prison. And so, um, so I just feel that for somebody, God is going to uh, release you of that, I think, and the burden of that. And sometimes he does that by sharing, um, 
our pain uh, with us. And so just keep an eye out for that uh, tonight. You can tell it's a little bit different than a Sunday morning if you're here for the first time. I'm going to preach about um, a, ser- a little sermonette <laughs> called, um, I have an itchy knee back here. I don't know what the deal is. Pastor Aaron probably put like something in there just to irritate me. Um, it's called Belly Drinkers. And um, it's about the story of uh, uh, Gideon and his 300 men. There was something about these um, 300 men. They beat an army of 130, I wrote 135,000. I thought it was 132,000. No, 135,000. So 300 people beat 135,000 warriors. And uh, so that's like 451 odds against. And I feel like I, I just need to say to somebody, the odds against you aren't what matters. What matters is what was inside of the 300 that God chose. And so... God has a way of, of, of turning the odds against you around so that, um, so you'll, you'll see it kind of in the text here, but, um, and all because you'll see it in the text, they drank water differently. Like how you drink water matters. Y'all are like hydrated now. You know how many, when I was in high school, you know, know how many like guys I saw carrying water bottles around? I didn't see anybody carrying water, but we were not hydrated. We were healthy. Um, the little disciplines matter more than you think. I'm going to show you today that sometimes we throw ourselves at water or um, belly drinking so that we can avoid uh, throwing ourselves at the war. And um, I think that God, God's just going to speak to you today. Um, Can I give you a little help when you're, no, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to do that later. I'm trying to stay open to what the Holy Spirit is telling me, but he doesn't like my notes. (laughs) And then what? I'm like, well, I thought these were for you. So I'm like, no, I don't like that there. Okay. uh, We say at Venue that you can't find purpose until you help somebody find their purpose. And um, what if love was like that? What if you can't find love until you help somebody? find love. What if love is not about satisfying your own thirst? I think that's what we're hearing now. Love is about satisfying my thirst. So I'm with you, whatever kind of love that looks like in relationships, I'm with you to satisfy a thirst that I have. Um, And I think that here are some syndromes that we're trying to use relationships to satisfy our own thirst. Um, Because I don't know that that's why relationships are there for, human relationships um, are are there for. You remember... uh, Uh, Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he's like, well, you're drinking out of the wrong well. Like, not just this well, not necessarily. You're drinking out of this other well where you're trying to get, you know, in her case, men to to quench your thirst. But he's like, you can't get your thirst quenched in those relationships. He's saying, I am, I'm the well. There's a new well. And when that happens, then you're not looking for the relationships. But I think sometimes we do that. Here's, here's a thought that I had that I just, I, I feel like you need to hear is, um, why do we think that when we don't love somebody, it's their fault? I've been thinking about that because that's like totally what I do. When I don't love you, it's your fault. It must be something that's, that is your fault. I got thinking about that. So, so then when I'm unhappy in a relationship, it's obviously you because it's not going to be me. But um, that if I fall out of love in some regard... It could even be a work, you know, like I, I get on the outs with somebody that I should love 
that when I don't love them, it's their fault and that's what makes it okay. But then I, I got thinking about this and I'm like, well, if that was Jesus coming to the earth and he's like, okay, so if, if I don't love them, it's their fault. Well, it definitely was our fault because we were unlovable. But then I realized he didn't come here to be loved. And yet he found great love in the world now. I mean, millions and millions of people love him. But he didn't come to be loved. And, and that's the problem, I think, is that when I fall out of love, is that I, I blame you for falling out of love. But love really has nothing to do with you. Love has everything to do with me. And so, so Jesus loved the people that hung him on a cross. Jesus loved... I'm not saying there's not consequence, but I, I am, I'm just saying that I think the way we're thinking about this is like, well... It, if I don't love you anymore, this is what you're doing that's making me not love you. But Jesus is like, what, who's making you not love? You're the only one who can make yourself not love something. And so, um, and so I think God wants you to fall back in love again, I think, with somebody. I don't know what that means to you, but... All the married couples are like, I know what it means. <laughs> um, love is not a feeling that you get when somebody sacrifices something for you. That's not love. Jesus said it's better to give than it is to receive. So love is not something that you receive when somebody gives you something. It's, that's not something I should say that you should feel then. I mean, like you should, you should have felt love before you got anything, right? Because love is more in the giving than it is in the receiving. But I was, I was thinking about this, like when somebody gives you something because they love you and that we give because we love, when somebody gives you something, it really should humiliate us in the sense of like, Thank you. I, I don't deserve this. But a love that's like, you owe this to me, that's like an entitled love. And like, now I'm getting this because I am entitled to love. But I think at the bottom of the human experience, we have to understand you as a human are not worthy of the love that you want. You are not entitled to, worthy of, one sin did, did away with all of that. You are not worthy of connecting with the Holy God. I'm not worthy in that sense until Jesus makes me so. But when I realized that, but Jesus makes me so under a condition of like, love thy neighbor. Not like be loved by thy neighbor, <laughs> love thy neighbor. Sow the seed. And I think sometimes that the landing pad that we have for love is very small because we don't understand that I shouldn't be in this relationship to be loved. I should be in this relationship to love. And when you're a jerk, it just makes it a little more difficult. But then my love gets to grow some muscles. And here's what we don't think of love like what it really is. I think love is war. It's more conflict. It's more engagement. And what we want is love where we just sit there and everybody puts sandwiches in our mouth. <laughs> like just the guys anyways, like, you know what I mean? And it, that's sort of what we're looking for. We're looking like for the cruise ship version of somebody serving us constantly, but somebody serving you constantly. That's not really what love is. I think love is engagement. Jesus came down and engaged, right? He got, he got into the dirt. You know, the, the woman who, who got caught committing adultery, he got into the dirt and he's just like, he's drawing in the dirt. And, and there's this idea that, that he's like, well, if you're without sin, cast the first stone, but I'm going to, as for me, I'm going to, I'm going to protect her. I'm going to, I'm going to take care. I'm going to forgive her. God, God's correction is restorative. So if you didn't get that at home, like, no, all correction from God is restorative. Punishment is a different thing. Correction comes before punishment to restore. When you correct your kid, you're trying to restore them in a relationship because sin has separated you. So I just felt like I needed to, you know, love feels more like war than we want. And the world tells us it's supposed to feel like riding uh, unicorns. The Judges chapter 7. Can I get into the text? <clears throat> so Jeroboam, that is Gideon and his army. 
got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped. Uh, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. And if I'm Gideon, I'm like, I rebuke you, Satan. I do not listen to lies. Too many warriors. He had um, 32,000 of them <laughs> against 135,000. So the odds are like four to one going into this. And God's like, you have too many people with you. It's distracting you. Um, he said, if I let you fight the Midianites, then Israel, the Israelites will boast to me. Isn't that interesting? That they save themselves by their own strength. Boast to me. What an unusual way to say that. Like boast to me. <clears throat> so when you're praying and God somehow saved you when you didn't deserve it, just like the day before, right? Then you go to God and you're like, well, I am a really pretty good, uh, pretty good guy. You know, like you're welcome for being a pretty good guy. Like you boast to me that you did it. And um, that's why people who are, uh, I think, uh, born talented, maybe, <clears throat> or born with more, have to maybe suffer a little more. Because we, you know, we, you, if that's you, kind of tend to think, like, well, I can because I have all this. I have a bank account that's full. I have this that's full. I can do these things. And God's like, yeah, but then you're boasting to me about it constantly. And that's a little irritating. And um, <clears throat> there's a huge principle here. God cannot, it says, let you fight and win if you'll take the, if you'll take the glory. He can't let you fight and win if, you'll, if you're the one who takes the glory. That's what he just said to these guys. Like, I can't let you win. I can't let you fight and win this. <clears throat> um, rather... <laughs> I think God would rather you lose and be broken because it says a broken and a contrite spirit you will not despise, right? But a proud heart, God, it says resist the proud. That means like I am wrestling against you when you're proud. You are wrestling against me. You're not going to get what you want. And it uh, doesn't matter how hard you s struggle. God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. So a broken and a contrite heart, um, God doesn't despise. <clears throat> Therefore, tell the people... He says to Gideon, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, 10,000 stayed. Who'd be in that 22,000? I mean, it's okay, just be honest. No. <laughs> whoever is timid or afraid. That's interesting. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring. I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. So he took them down to the spring and did, a, you know, did an archery contest and military drills. Watch this. Maybe you guys have you not read this. <laughs> Story. He didn't grow up in church. Okay. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, so Gideon's like, okay, so like two even groups. They'll still have like 5,000 people. Um, in one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. Right? In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. That would take quite a bit of courage for Gideon to be like 300 out of 10,000. It's like, okay, two groups, two groups, two groups. And one guy, 500 people over there is like lapping up water out of his hand. I'm like, I, I didn't hear from the Lord. I'm not going to. Um, the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the other ones home. <clears throat> so can I, this is, this is my, I'm just thinking, I spent like an hour, an hour straight thinking about, how do you drink water out of a stream on your belly? Belly drinkers, right? Have you ever tried to drink water out of a stream before? So you got to understand, like most of the time the approach isn't great, but even if it is, 
you're dealing with like a slope that's down there, and then the water is like pretty shallow, right? No, I was, I took like an hour. You're going to think about it because it took me like an hour to think about this. So I was thinking about this, and I was, I'm going to do this right here. I was thinking about this. And why does the word of God record this story? And why does God make them do this? And how is this separating people into people that can beat 450 to one odds against and people who can't? And it's not military. It's not mathematics. It's not how well they did in school. It's not their family life. It's he sends them down to the water to drink and there's like a, a stream or a brook and 10,000 guys that are trying to drink water. And they're still, I mean, I read commentaries that said they were within kind of sight of, of the battlefield and stuff like that. So they're not like away from it. I don't know if that's true, but they're not like away from it, you know? So they're still like in battle zone. And then I'm like, what kind of a guy gets on his belly to drink water out of a stream? Like if you're, Ryan, you're in, you're in the woods or whatever you do, and you're like, I'm, I'm thirsty. I forgot my water bottle. I'm not hydrated. You're like, I'm going to drink water out of a stream. So it said that, that some of the guys, they, they sat there and they drank water like this, like lapped it like dogs. That's what it says, like a dog, right? <laughs> Lapped water like a dog. Like that's very, that's discouraging if I'm drinking water. You don't know this because you have water bottles. <laughs> so they're drinking water like a dog. They're just drinking it like, like that. And I'm thinking like, that's cool. <laughs> but 9,700, oh, that's a good idea. I didn't think about this part. Thank you. So 97, these are normally Kleenexes we reserve for crying in prayer after. Because <laughs> you're like, I'm a belly drinker. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and then 9,700 other guys. <laughs> they, they literally put their faces in the water. So I was thinking about that for like an hour straight. I'm thinking, that doesn't make any sense to me. Thank you. You can take, do you want some? like an hour straight. I was thinking about that. What would possess you to get on your belly and, you know, squinch your way down there and drink like that? Like, are, do you have new sandals? You don't want to get your sandals wet? Because if you're lapping water, like, you got to get in there, right? You got to get in there with your feet. I know this, like, kind of the classic way of looking at that, like, well, these guys lapping water, they're still in a war zone, right? So they don't want to get shot. It's a pretty good idea, right? Like, because if you're, if you're literally on your belly, like somebody can shoot you. I don't even know. I don't know if you would die from the air or, or from drowning. Because I mean, like your face is in the water. You lay down. Why? Like, I still don't know. Does anybody know why you would like 9,700 people would do this? Like, that's a long river. It's like the parade day in, in Airdrie when you have like 10,000 or 20,000. We have like 10,000 people. 
all like just, and they filled the water, the street up with water and everybody just like, <laughs> but like, that's a long line of people. That's a super long. I wonder like, how thirsty are you? Like, you're super thirsty. I'm thinking, how much water can you get lapping water like a dog? Cause like dogs have got nothing but time, right? You have 10,000 people and you're waiting for your turn to like drink water. And like, how much water do you think you're getting when you're like, you know, dogs have 20 hours a day that they can drink water and sleep, but these guys have like 30 seconds. And I'm thinking 300 guys didn't need as much water as the other ones did. And I thought to myself, why don't they need as much water as the other ones did? I got thinking about that. I'm, I'm like, I, I just can't think of anything other than like, was the other people's appetite for water, was their personal thirst so great that they would risk literally putting their face in a pool and drinking like deeply of, of water like that. And the other guys were like the only alert people in the whole camp, the only people who just, <clears throat> I was thinking, I think some of us, we drink so deeply of some things. I don't think we're drinking the way that God wants us to because 300 guys only drank what they needed to fight. I think people come to church a lot and I think that, that we come and we drink, you know, the, the, the word is like bread, you know, or you drink of the experience of God. You drink and you drink and you drink and you drink. But I think that God is like, hey, like just drink a bit. You don't have to drink it all on one Sunday unless you only come once a month. That's a problem. But like, then you're gonna like drink and drink and drink and like gorge yourself. But, but then like drink a little and go out and fight. Like drink and fight, drink and fight, drink and fight, eat and fight, eat and fight. Late in one time when, when we were in Didsbury, he, we used to after church have barbecues and Layden's um, personal goal was to bankrupt my family. <laughs> One time I remember, because if you've ever seen Layden play soccer, um, he's a bit of an animal, right? So like watch your ankles and stuff. <laughs> he, he slide tackled me in indoor soccer at half one time and broke my foot. <laughs> True story. He, he lightened up a little after that. He still feels bad about that. It was a, I'm like, what were you thinking? So one time I remember he's, he's, he's playing soccer after church. He's like, man, I feel kind of sluggish. I'm like, Layden, how many hamburgers did you eat? Four? And these were like, not the good ones. These were like the sawdust hamburgers. So he just ate like a stick of butter and between and then ate four of them. And he drank like, who knows how many of my Dr. Peppers he drank. And then he destroyed a bunch of chips and like whatever else I had. Like he just, and I'm like, you're sluggish. I mean, most people would be at the hospital. Yeah, he was still out running the rest of us. But I'm like, yeah, well, no, I get it. I'm thinking there's something about his appetite that was so sinful. There's something about a belly drinker that's their personal thirst is their, is their main thing. It's like my personal, I'm thirsty, I'm drinking now. Like if I get my shot at it, I'm going to drink as much as I can. Cause I don't know if I'm going to get back in here and I don't know. There's something about this quenching your personal thirst.
I wonder sometimes if we don't become belly drinkers because we're just trying to avoid the war. <laughs> so like, let's be good at something. <laughs> How much did you drink? Oh yeah, no, I totally get it. <laughs> also, if you drink too much when you go into the battle and you have to go to the bathroom, what are you going to do? <laughs> Things that you don't think about because I'm a pastor's kid. I've been thinking about this a long time. What do you do when you got to go to the bathroom in the middle of the war? Like, just a second. Excuse me. Just like, just hold that thought. Just hold on. You're still in a war. The 300 guys could say to the rest, my disciplines cause me to drink less water than you. My disciplines, I don't need it. I don't need that much water to fight. That's all it's for is give me enough to fight. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home, but he kept the 300 men with him. That should bother you a little. It bothers me, just the thought that like, Gideon's like, hey guys, you obviously don't need your stuff anymore. So uh, can you leave it with these guys? Because they need it. You know, that would bother me. It does bother me, just the thought of that. You know, I told, I, I told the Lord like, Lord, I know that you're gonna do a move of God in our city and in our province and in our nation. And so like, you're going to use Venue Church and if not, you're gonna have to somehow destroy us. Because if the train is coming, like we're on it or we're on the tracks, like we're, we don't really care, but like, you're going to use us because there's no other really, there's no other option. There's no other option for us. Um, and I think that that's true of churches sometimes is that churches forget why we're here. We forget the mission. It's about the people who aren't here yet. It can be a little about you, but not a lot. We forget that a life saved is worth everything. And if that ever happens to venue church, then God's going to take our stuff and give it to a church that will. And that should bother us. And we'd be like, no, <laughs> no, we need our stuff because we have people getting saved and baptized and we have families getting restored and we have people getting off of drugs and like, no, we need our stuff because of the work that we're doing. Now it says the Midianite, uh, Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. And um, then there's this weird thing that happens um, that God's like, hey, if you're afraid and Gideon's like, yes, very afraid. If you're afraid, go down to the Midianite camp. So they sneak to the edge of the camp. This one guy tells a story about like, hey, I just had a dream and it freaked me out. There was like a barley loaf that fell in and like knocked over a bunch of tents and stuff. And the other guy's like, I know exactly what that means. First of all, have you ever dreamt about a barley loaf knocking a tent over and you wake up and you're like, ah, I've been, I knew it. You know, like I knew this was gonna happen. Right? And then like your, your wife wakes up and she's like, I have the interpretation from the Lord. This is nothing less than Gideon, the son of Joash, killing us all with his 300 guys. I knew it. 450 to odds, 450 to one odds against. Like every person in Gideon's ar army had to take on more than Gideon's army. Right? This is when God sends you like kind of a miraculous sign, you know, when dreams actually make sense. Most dreams don't make sense. One time Pastor Aaron, she was halfway through a very long story and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? And she goes, oh, maybe that was a dream. I'm like, start with that. Start with the maybe it was a dream part. Start with the like, this is not a thing. This might have, I might have dreamt this. And so you don't know you're coming in on like a thing that it wasn't, isn't a thing. Oh, yeah, maybe I dreamt it. And then she says to me one time, like, I have a hard time separating from reality. And I'm like, no, you're always kind of separated from reality. Like, I have a hard time. She, what she meant to say was like, sometimes I have a hard time 
connecting with reality, you know, anyway, it was sort of funny. Your wife ever get mad at you for a dream that she had about something that you didn't do? Right. Um, when Gideon heard its dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and said, get up, the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided three men into three groups, gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard. It's funny though, just after midnight, I was reading these like, when to attack people, <laughs> blogs. Really probably not good. I'm thinking about it now, I'm like, uh, I got red flagged. Like, when's best to attack somebody? <laughs> They're not saying, like, you don't do it right, right, right. right. <laughs> Get all these weird guys in there, like army instructor for 147 years, you know, like good with knife, knives and stuff like that's probably not good. So they're saying like, no, you do it at like 3 a.m. or something like that, but you don't do it right when a guard is changed. And so this shows you like, not only are the odds terrible, but they've literally just changed the guard and all these guys are like awake and like looking around and ready to go. And so the timing is awful, fresh guards. Um, it says in all three groups blew their rams, uh, their horns and broke their jars. And let me just say that in a sec they held the blazing torches in their left hands and their horns in their right hands were their swords i think you depend on your sword too much um and they all shouted a sword for the lord and for gideon now here's the other thing about that i, I feel like we all want god to say our name in the battle sometimes like a sword for the lord and nicole you know she's always like pastor how come you never say my name on stage nicole i just did <laughs> a sword for the lord and nicole but you know that's also like a thing too because now the enemy's like Oh, no, just, you don't have to kill anybody else. Just go, go get Nicole. <laughs> right? So there's that, too, that everybody wants their name on stage. But the other side of that, too, is like, oh, yeah, no, you just painted a huge target on you. And now, like, the devil really knows who you are and wants to kill you. Um, each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. So 300 guys beat 135,000 people that day. And I was thinking about that, like, the, I could go into, like, the, the torch but it's funny, the torch was covered with like a clay jar, but they had to shatter the clay jars for the light to shine. And I think sometimes what we're trying to do is like keep our clay jars like unbroken and unshattered and keep our like emotions intact and try to keep like our lives together. We're trying to keep it together. And God's like, if, I, if you just break it or just let me break you a little bit, then maybe the light would shine. But it's not really shining through because it doesn't shine through clay that well. And so I was thinking like brokenness, I know brokenness is awful, but God's like, well, listen, you can break you, like you can fall on the rock and be broken, or it can fall on you one day and grind you to powder. That's a very different thing. Um, I don't want to get kind of lost in that because that's like a whole sermon, but here's what I want to say. Never satisfy. We can't satisfy our own thirst at the expense of the war. Everything we have to do, like if you're married, it's, it's a war. Love is a war. You're fighting a war against the devil that wants to break you up. If you have kids, if you have friends, if you like Compassion Canada's coming, if you like sponsor kids, poor kids, you don't have food. Like it's a war. Everything, we're in a war. You're in a war. Before you, you, were, you weren't in a war, you were in jail, in the devil's jail. And that's why the devil left you alone because you were already kind of miserable, right? And so he doesn't really care about, like he can come in and worry you anytime that he wants to. But all of a sudden you step into Christianity, you're like, oh, everything got hard. God's like, well, yeah, you're in a war now. Now you're in a war. Before you weren't in a war. The devil already owned you, you know. But I got thinking to myself, like, so what is the river? Because I think everybody's got one of these. Like, what, what river are you belly drinking out of right now? I was, I was thinking, like, something that even that God might have given you that's a good thing. 
that, that nourishes you a little. You know, I was thinking of like, um, you've got to think of the gods of the people, the old gods. They were like, I'm going to give you long life and make you happy. That's what they all promised, right? And so that's why you would sacrifice to them. And I think like, yeah, you sacrifice down by the river of, of these things. And sometimes and I was thinking like, I think exercise can be like that now. People are just like belly drinking exercise, right? Where, you know, Paul says like, hey, uh, exercise is good, but godliness is more useful, you know. It's like, it's good. Like, it's good. It profits a little. There's like, well, you're like, God wants me to have joy. Well, yes, that's good. But if you're like belly drinking it and belly drinking pleasure and belly drinking Netflix and gaming or working or you're like... <laughs> You have a two-year-old kid that is smothered because their job is to love you and make you feel great. You're like belly drinking your two-year-old kid. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you're, you're, I was thinking anything that you can't drink on your knees might not be the way that God wanted it. Anything that you are like face down submitted to, you know, anything you're not drinking on your knees Mindful of the war might not be. And here's the, here's the problem. I think that when you give into that thirst of spending, of too much talking about everything all the time, that, that belly drinking emotions, I'm trying to find an emotion that I felt once. I'm just trying to, or trying to get you to make me feel the way that you used to make me feel. And I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm belly drinking this. The trouble is your thirst for that thing gets greater and greater. Because it wants you to keep coming back and belly drinking more. And, and so you're, you're not using it to fight anymore. You're just using it because you think that like the river. But Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, you're drinking at the wrong well. This is not the well. And like and the other well that you're drinking out of, relationships, that's the wrong well. That's not going to do it either. So there's, there's, a different, there's a different way to think about that. Here's the real river. This is not new. Venue church is built around it. You ready? This is the river. Know God. Find freedom. Discover purpose. And make a difference. That's what the water is for. And I think that right now as a church, we got a lot of people who are on the no God stage, which happens Sundays. But far fewer... We still have a good percentage as far as the church goes, but we don't care about percentage because it's not all of us yet. We're not finding freedom because you can find freedom a little, but you won't keep it without a small group. So how much freedom can, how many battles can God let you win? Because if you're not in a small group, you're going to start bragging to God that you did it. And God's like, no, you're just in the stale, just getting to know me stage. But there's this like finding freedom stage because how can you really know God if you're not really free yet? If you haven't gone through um, freedom session, I, we have some of our young leaders that I'm like, you're going to freedom session next because I want to keep using you as a leader, but I can't because there's still things you're not free of yet. So like sign yourself up now, commit now. Like, hey, I'm going to sign up to this because you're not really free yet. And so how much are you going to know God who is the God of freedom if you're not really free yet because you haven't dealt with some of the things of yesterday because you think that you're okay, right? God's like, well, no, you're not. That's why we have freedom group, you know. And then there's like discovering your purpose and making a difference. That only happens when you have a weekly ministry in the church that fires you up. 
It's not your job. You're trying to find pleasure in your nine to five. That's not what it's there for. It's there just to drink a little so that you can fight and get some of your people to church. I mean, it's just like, just drink and fight, drink and fight, drink and feed, drink and, you know what I mean? You're looking at these things to be like, my purpose is my career. It will never be. It can never be. My purpose is my marriage. My purpose is what this should have been. My purpose, no. And I think what happens is when we're drinking out of the, like the real river and we're drinking out of it in a disciplined manner, because until you're on a dream team, and, and that takes time, by the way, God doesn't reveal your talent until you're on the team, but nobody starts as pitcher if you're playing baseball. Nobody starts on the mound. You start like as a, as a bat boy, you know, that's what we used to call it, a bat boy. Like, here's your bat. We're just making sure the bench is clean. You start and then God starts moving on the field, but you don't need talent until you're on the field. And so sometimes you're like, God, reveal my gift to me. And God's like, you're a spectator. You're a couch Christian who's like, I wish they'd sing this song. Like, I really, I really worship at this song. And God's like, you're drinking, but you're not drinking and fighting. So you're not drinking and serving. You're not drinking and feeding. You're not drinking and bringing. You're not drinking and... And so there's this thing that, that I think that when that happens, though, and when you cross that line, and I, and I don't mean like it takes a while to find that thing, but then it's like God is like, hey, I can actually... Because you're drinking out of... You're trying to drink and try to get rest. Belly drinking, rest. And God's like, actually, actually, he's like, I own the joy button. Joy is only 10% circumstantial. I own the joy button, and if you do these things, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And now, now every week you're like, I, I can't wait to do this. I can't wait to train kids in Sunday school. I cannot wait to serve my neighbors and bring them. I cannot wait to host small group. I cannot wait to, I cannot wait to. And, and when you're doing these things, then God starts turning the joy up in your life. And then the little things, the little water that you drink brings you much greater joy. And before that, you had to watch 10 movies and eat chips all day to de-stress from work. And God's like, actually, I'll do that with one movie a week and you'll enjoy it more. Some of us, we get so, you know, you go to Mexico for a week and you're like, I'm moving here. Everybody that goes, is like, I'm moving to Mexico. I'm, moving. I'm like, I don't know. My work is here. These are my people. I answer for this field. And so I'll go to Mexico, but when I'm there, it tastes good. But that's not my people. This is my people. This is my field. This is what I answer for. If I don't see these people in heaven, let's just say I'm going to see these people in heaven. That's who we're here for. Now, last thing. Come on up, worship team. Um, God corporately quenches thirst. So this message that I'm teaching you, it wasn't just for Jesse. It was for Tia. It was for me. It was for Gail. It was for Ryan. You come with your needs and your thirst, and God's like, great. Come here on Wednesday night, and I will quench that thirst so that you can go out and fight. And what happens is when the enemy starts getting us out of churchy things and the service and the discovering purpose and the serving and the making a difference, and when he gets us out of that, then what happens is on a Sunday morning, you'll go do something else, trying to belly drink something you'll go do something else but God God is like actually if you to come here corporately I could do this in a 138 minute sermon I could do it to everybody at the same time and meet everybody's need at the same time and turn the joy up in everybody's life and all it does is cost you this like Sabbath 
with God, or you're a small group serving and hosting, or you're serving God's like, good, I can turn joy up now. I can. That doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to work. And remember, you're still a clay vessel that needs to be broken so the light can shine through you. But I got thinking about that. What happens is when you don't do that, then it uses more church bandwidth because then the very thing that you needed to hear that God wanted to set you free of, whether you knew you needed it or not, you're going to struggle with that week. And then you're going to start taking people because you're going to be injured and you're going to start taking people out of your small group and out of your thing because you're injured. And the enemy would always rather injure you than kill you because then it takes people out of the war. Right? And then he can like injure you even more and injure you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, not just to destroy. And so there's this thing that then you start taking more and more bandwidth. I don't like this pad, by the way. You don't like it? Okay, cool. Then there's this bandwidth that gets used that when we would come and fight as an army, we would realize like, hey, you'll have your turn at the river, but you don't need that much to go out and work again because the river never stops flowing here if you keep coming back to the right river. And here's what I want to say. Every two years, I was listening to, uh, I think, a Carolyn Haas, Pastor Carolyn, teach about this. Every two years, you'll need to repurpose yourself in church. You'll need to reinvest because after two years, things change. Your group changes a little bit. Your circumstance changes. Your serving stain changes. Something changes. And then you start, your love starts growing cold and you're like, or it starts getting familiar or you start and you need to like, Hey, I'm on the prayer team, but Hey, I need to, I need to remember why I got on the prayer team in the first place. I need to remember that this was a privilege to see somebody set free. And now I don't have to come to church anymore and get her early and receive instruction and come prayed up. Now I get to, because that was the reason I was born was to pray for that person on Wednesday night. And I'm so glad for what God is doing in their life right now. You have to repurpose, you have to reinvest. And if you won't, that's when we see a lot of people like two years and then I'm going to go to a different church because this isn't doing it for me anymore. Well, what are you belly drinking? Right? You don't need to belly drink of the things if you just like, just lap water like a dog. Renee just put her dog in like obedience training or something, right? If you've met Marshall, I'm just like, I don't know what that means. I'm going to make fun of Marshall right now because I'm just like, I'm going to be like, Marshall, think, think, Marshall, stop. Think, think, think. Think, Marshall, think this thing. But repurpose. And I think tonight is going to be a night of repurposing for somebody. Your love's grown a little bit cold in some relationship. And I think it's okay to say that. Like, hey, you know what? Because here's the thing. If you don't feel that love anymore, it's not the other person. That's you. If you don't feel love towards somebody, it's because you're not sowing love. <laughs> if you would sow love, God would cause love to come. How could Jesus love you so much when you never... I mean, the people that literally hung him on the cross, he's like, I love you. I forgive you. It's okay. It's okay. The one who cursed him, he wasn't angry. He just like, it's okay. But you'll be with me in paradise, but it's okay. I, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I think that forgiveness needs to roll tonight. I think that God wants to reinvigorate your love. But also remember, God might have you in a, in a clay pot breaking stage right now. And I would say just embrace that. And by embrace that, I mean just let him do it. Because you're going to come out beautiful on the other side. Here's a word of God for somebody today. You think that you can't be healed. You think that this can't be healed. It can't be. It can't be. God can do something in a month that a psychiatrist could never do because a psychiatrist can't fix you here. A psychiatrist can't love your heart enough to make what was done to you okay. I don't mean like it's okay, but I'm like, you're okay. And nobody can do that for you. A human can't do that for you. You can't think your way into heart health. God can love you there though. All right, um, let's get the prayer teams rolling right now. Oh, let's sing the one you love.
right now. We just want to give you an opportunity just to, is this the same pad that's in every song right now? We, we can take a moment and switch to a different file that has the old pad. I don't want to do that right now. Okay, yeah, then yes it is. Okay, good. I love this pad. This is the best pad I've ever heard. <laughs> And uh, in the prophetic ministry time, it's going to be incredible. Sometimes in the middle of songs, what we do is I'll just speak as the Lord keeps telling me to speak. And so I just want to encourage you that you came in needing something. And uh, don't worry what you came in trying to fill it with. God has decided, I'm going to fill it actually like this. And I'm going to fill it together. I'm going to fill it in your chair. I'm probably going to fill it over getting prayed for. God is going to, they can't fix you, by the way. They're not going to try to fix you. All they're going to try to do is just be like, oh, okay, that's what you think it is. That's great. And then they're going to pray for you. God's going to give you a word. And then they're going to give you a challenge and be like, hey, go do this thing. And God's going to be like, good. Now I can fill that, the other wells that you need. 